Welcome to the ROTC Scholarship Podcast, hosted by former Army ROTC Professor of Military Science, Lieutenant Colonel Retired Rob Kirkland. In these episodes, we explore how to best prepare yourself to obtain one of these valuable scholarships for those applicants who wish to attend a college or university and become officers in the military. The application process can be complex and confusing. This podcast works to make it more understandable. And now, the ROTC Scholarship Podcast. Welcome to the uh, ROTC Scholarship Podcast. This is uh, Rob Kirkland, and today I've got uh, Lisa Hildhouse on the uh, on the on the cast here today. Um, Lisa's uh, an independent uh, educational consultant and founder of Hillhouse College and Career Advising, based in Atlanta. Prior to launching her practice, Lisa retired from the Air Force after 26 years of active duty and reserve service. She's a nationally recognized for her expertise and specialty of guiding and supporting students through the complex process of, of becoming commissioned officers. She frequently presents at admissions conferences and webinars and has served as a guest presenter for college advising uh, courses. You can find out more about Lisa at uh, hillhousecollegeadvising.com, and we'll have that in the show notes uh, after, um, you know, at the, uh, after this uh, podcast is over and you'll be, and when you uh, listen to it. So Lisa, it's great to have you on the podcast here today. Rob, it's a pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. So uh, it's, well, you know, um, you know, we go back uh, five years here and I know we did uh, a kind of a, a Academy ROTC uh, presentation up in Reno, uh, Nevada. Uh, and it was five years ago, almost to the date here today. So, uh, so yeah, so we're almost doing the same thing today, right? <laughs> yes, we are. It's good to be back. <laughs> yeah, great, great. So what what I thought we would do today is kind of just uh, talk to the audience about uh, this uh, ROTC scholarship and service academy application process and kind of compare and contrast. So what we're going to do is we're kind of going to do a tag team here today and go through some various points about the uh, about the process. And, you know, so that the, uh, so that the listeners kind of get an idea of the differences and similarities between the two. I think there's a lot of synergy, uh, between the two, uh, applications, uh, and there's some differences, uh, a lot of, uh, candidates who apply for the, uh, academies also apply for ROTC. So, uh, you know, I think you can, uh, obviously I think there can be, uh, this, kind of, um, you know, preparation, I think it, get, that can uh, work for both of these applications. So um, with that, what what I think, what I've got a list of things to go through here, but I think the first thing that I'll start off, so I'll do the the ROTC thing first, and then Lisa, you'll uh, come in and talk about the academies would be, you know, the thing that all the parents and candidates uh, want to know about is the timeline. In other words, when to start the process all the way through to the end. And so uh, with ROTC, uh, the application uh, is opened in a web on a website. And the application uh, is open in April for the Navy and June for the uh, Air Force and Army ROTC process. So once the application opens up, uh, pretty much most applicants work on the application over the summertime. They complete the essays, they do the physical fitness test. They uh, fill out the rest of the uh, application, uh, you know, upload their transcripts, their SAT, ACT stores get sent to ROTC, 
And the long pole in the, in the tennis we call would be the interview, uh, the interview. And the interview is usually or should be in the late summer, about the August uh, September timeframe in time for the first board uh, that usually meets in the October timeframe. Now, uh, these dates aren't necessarily set in stone. Uh, there's uh, the the hard deadline for ROTC is usually the end of the year. So actually, I've, I've worked with candidates who have completed the whole process in say two or three weeks in December, uh, and were uh, and as long as they got underneath that deadline of the end of the year, they were able then to uh, compete and uh, win an ROTC scholarship. And as Lisa, I'm sure, will point out uh, after my portion here, is that no way. Well, that you can do do that with the service academies. It's just you, <laughs> <laughs> they're a lot harder than that. So ROTC is much more flexible, and and you can get it done in a short period of time, and the deadline's at the end of the year. Uh, the other thing is the physical, and we had a podcast uh, a few, uh, episode or two before about the Dodmer physical or the Department of Defense Medical Exam Review Board physical. The physical uh, is done after you're awarded the scholarship. So once you get the scholarship and you accept it, uh, the uh, Dodmer process, the medical process is started. Uh, so that uh, is obviously is going to be a difference between the academies and ROTC. So ROTC doesn't commit to your medical exam until after you get that scholarship done. And so generally, you're, you're awarded a scholarship off of several boards uh, that take place during the uh, during the application period. So uh, the boards run in, from October to April, and you're usually informed about two to three weeks after the board is uh, complete, you'll get a, uh, a notification on the application portal as well as I believe by uh, email. And so that's, and then you accept the uh, scholarship and then, uh, and then you're off and running. So, it, so that's kind of a broad overview of the uh, ROTC piece. And so Lisa, I'll turn it over to you and you can tell them what, what the difference is with the academies. Thanks, Rob. This is great. Um, you mentioned that you have that podcast on the candidate, the fitness test for ROTC, and people should definitely listen to that. I do send my students to that. And then you also have the um, Dodmer one on the medical. So again, those are great resources and they'll go a little more in depth than we will today. Um, but there is synergy that you could harness in this process. And so if I was working with a student who is applying to um, both an academy, maybe multiple, and at least one ROTC, I actually have them start the nomination process for the academies first. Then we try to get out at least one academy application about 70% done. And that's so their medical is going to be triggered. And then we do the ROTC applications. Um, usually the civilian colleges come in before the ROTC applications. In some cases, we're doing all of those at once. So for a kid looking at an academy and ROTC and civilian colleges, which you need, you're going to be doubling your college workload. So as you said, you cannot do this in one weekend. You cannot do this in a week. It definitely takes some time. Um, another change there to think about is that the academies, since these are federal service academies, there are laws um, that restrict certain people from a 
attending. And so there are age requirements. So whereas ROTC can be more flexible for a service academy, um, you have to be at least 17 years old, but no older than 23 when you enter. Um, It is a little bit older for the Merchant Marine Academy. You cannot be married. You can in ROTC. Um, You cannot be pregnant or have any dependents that you're responsible for. So in ROTC, as you know, you do have to have a dependent care plan. Um, But, you know, a lot of kids interested in the academy, um, for some reason, you know, they may not meet these qualifications. And especially for active duty military, they may already be married, for example. So the academy is not going to be an option. Um, In terms of applying and when to start this process, each academy is going to be different. And so I can give you generalizations. And of course, it's always subject to change. But typically, the spring of junior year, sometimes the winter, these pre-candidate or candidate questionnaires open. So for example, West Point starts out in January of your junior year. And if you want to apply to their summer leadership experience, which everybody should think about this, you need to do that pre-candidate questionnaire to be able to apply. Um, The other academies are typically opening those pre-candidate or candidate questionnaires online in March, um, so late winter, early spring. And then some academies like the Merchant Marine and the Coast Guard, they're going to let you just start the application directly. And so Coast Guard opens in July, Merchant Marine Academy in May. But really, you want to, the fall of your junior year, see who's the best fit for you, find out when any summer programs are going to be open, look at requirements for those like standardized testing, and then have that on your calendar You know, to get into that queue early because the students who are in there, they're going to become candidates faster, which is the summer after their junior year, and then their applications will have the opportunity to possibly be reviewed earlier when there's more spots available. Well, great. So uh, when do you think that uh, they could expect uh, the nomination uh, and and appointments uh, as far as uh, like when does normally you see uh, the nomination take place, the the physical fitness test, the uh, interviews, things like that? In other words, what, what timeline are we looking at in the fall for when when a person is a qualified candidate? Absolutely. So junior year, they should be looking on their congressional sites. So they can go to house.gov or senate.gov and find out who their congressperson and senators are. So most people are going to be able to apply to their congressman or woman and their two senators and the vice president. So those applications tend to open up May when you're a junior. Um, Every office has a different deadline. Some offices have deadlines as early as August. And that tends to be places I see like in the Southeast, where maybe school starts um, sooner. And then some have deadlines as late as like early to late October. So those deadlines are hard and fast. Mm -hmm. So you absolutely need to do that research a year in advance, find out how competitive those nominations are, what are the things you're going to need for that, like resumes, recommendation letters, test scores, and then what that deadline is. Um, And that's why we do those first. But that work that we're doing, that interview prep and that research for the military and the careers and the essays are really going to help with the academy applications too. Um, In terms of the academy applications, so 
by July, the academies have those applications open and they're taking a person who applies and making them a candidate if they meet um, certain academies have certain minimum requirements. So that may be something that's posted on their page or it may not be posted, but it could be, for example, you need to have at least a 560 verbal and math SAT or maybe at least a 3.0. So certain minimum requirements. So when you meet them, you become a candidate. And they're looking at academics, athletics, leadership, things like that. Um, The deadlines for the academy vary, but typically your application has to be in by December of senior year. Typically, it has to be absolutely completed by January. And again, different academies have different rules about that. But you really don't want to be applying that late. You want to get it in as early as you're qualified to do it. Um, In general, the academies notify you at different times of their admissions decisions. So Coast Guard is the only academy that has an early um, action deadline, and that's in October. So those students who meet that um, admissions deadline with a complete file, they'll have their admissions decision at the end of of that calendar year, which is wonderful. I'm going to save them a lot of time if that's where they want to go. And then they have a regular decision deadline. Um, So for Coast Guard, you hear either in December or generally by April. Um, For Air Force, most admission decisions go out in March. But again, it could be as late as April, even sometimes after May 1st at the very end of the class, which can be a problem, right? Because you have to tell colleges where you're going to go by May 1st. Uh, Merchant Marine Academy lets you know in the winter, spring. Navy has rolling admissions. They're the one academy that does that. So I've had people um, admit it maybe as a recruited athlete in the fall, but winter, spring, they're getting in, which is great. And then West Point does a lot of January admits. And then of course, later in the spring too. So every academy is different. You really have to hurry up and wait, which is a good preparation for the military sometimes. Right. Yeah. And you're going to get uh, your nomination usually in the, uh, what, the November timeframe and then uh, somewhere around there. Right. So the congressional offices have to have their nominations to the academies by January 31st. So a lot of times you're going to get answers from your nomination in October, November, December, sometimes as late as January. And for four of the five academies, you must have a nomination. So Coast Guard does not require them at all. Um, And sometimes students really are attracted to the Coast Guard initially for that and then also find that it's a fantastic fit because they're not going through, you know, that competitive process. Um, Because certain parts of the country, like the Washington, D.C. area, it is so difficult to get a nomination. Right. Yeah. And so what we'll um, certainly talk about here in uh, some of these points going on is the uh, the PT test and the interview. So we'll talk about those things in uh, these following points. But yeah, it's uh, the nomination process is certainly uh, one that's uh, somewhat geographically based um, mm-hmm. as far as competitiveness goes, which, you know, one can debate the fairness of that, of the nomination <laughs> process. But, um, you know, seeing somebody from Vermont, uh, easily get a nomination versus somebody from the DC area. So, but okay. So let's uh, talk about the essays. Um, the okay. essays. Uh, so first uh, I'll, I'll kick off kind of uh, the ROTC portion of the essays, and then um, you can talk about the service Academy. So um, air force ROTC, no essays. So uh, that's uh I guess if you don't like to write, that's a good thing. Go to the air, go to air force <laughs> ROTC. 
So our so uh, all of the rest of them, in other words, the Navy, Army, and Navy Marine Corps are going to uh, ask you some uh, essay questions. And one of the essay questions is going to be something. And I'll read off the Army. Uh, the Army question is uh, indicate. Uh, why you want to be an army officer and uh, what a career obligation means to you. So there's going to be a question on, on uh, both Navy and army talking about uh, your, why you want to be an officer and, and what uh, a career, what a career obligation or what it, what it means to serve. So you're going to have to talk about um, that uh, as, as a prompt. Army will uh, then come up. Uh, they have an interesting second essay that talks about uh, what you do in a typical week in uh, in the school year. And so, uh, you know, it's uh, it's kind of a uh, a strange question, but it uh, you know you talk about all the things you do. I get up in the morning, I brush my teeth, and then I go and I'm <laughs> busy busy for twenty hours a day. So, uh, not sure how much really uh that helps uh the rotc application but it's their second prompt and then the third one uh has to do with uh with just kind of like a resume one just is there any additional information uh, that you want to uh, present on the uh that isn't in the essays or maybe in in the application so uh that's sort of the army the uh marine corps uh against marine officer uh, then it talks about there's an <clears throat> interesting one for the Navy that talks about kind of cultural experience. If, if you've lived in a foreign country uh, and experienced another culture, there's uh, another question with the Navy Marine Corps that talks about uh, the background and experience, uh, kind of a resume piece, sort of like a question three of the uh, of the Army ROTC application. So my take on these uh, <clears throat> interview uh questions. I think they're important for the ROTC. I think they're read. They're usually read it during the uh, scholarship board. And uh, it's a good, it's important to do well on these uh, essays. Uh, so, uh, so yeah. So how do you do well on these essays? I think it's going to be similar to kind of what we're going to be talking about with the interview and interview prep in our next, in our next point. I think uh, at least in in my uh, view, that you need to uh, educate yourself on the service that you're going to be applying for. So if you're going to be applying for a, a Army ROTC scholarship, you're going to want to uh, let uh, the people reading your essay know that you did your due diligence to learn about the service, learn about what officership is, uh, and I think that's uh, important. So you know, of course, you know, making sure that the you know the app the essays are proofread and, you know, our proper grammar and things like that. Obviously putting your, your best foot forward with the essays is important. So that's the uh, essays for um, Army and Navy and Navy Marine Corps option uh, scholarship. So uh, what about the essays for the service academies and are they, are they important? They are so important. And I think you touched on a really critical point, and that is these essays need to demonstrate your interest in the military. So, you know, my first thought is when I read an essay and I've 
run dozens of nomination boards. You know, I've interviewed hundreds of ROTC candidates and academy candidates. And when I would read their essays, I would say, you know, did you do your research? So sometimes someone will talk about, I want to go in the Navy, but they're talking about tanks. Or they're saying, you know, I aspire to be this rank, but they're talking about an enlisted rank when they're looking to get a commission, which is a totally different rank system. So things that would be very obvious to you or me, maybe civilians wouldn't know those things. So you want someone to read your essays that says, yeah, you know, this aligns with the Air Force mission or the vision of where the Marine Corps is going. Um, The next thing is you want to be unique. So you want to stand out, but you also want to fit into the culture of the military. So lots of kids will say, you know, um, more than anything, I want to serve my country. And I think that's a great answer, but you need to go, my third point, like much deeper than that. So how, why are you so called to serve? Like what's happened in your life? What have you realized that matters to you? And, you know, how are you going to give back and how do you view service? So do your research, be unique and dig deep. Um, The academies are going to ask some similar questions. And also for the nomination packets, you're going to see more essays like you would do for an academy. Um, But for example, last year, the Navy said, how will the Naval Academy help you achieve your long-term goals? That's the first part. And then tell us a personal experience you've had that has contributed to your character development and integrity. So what all the academies are trying to build are leaders of character. And I could give you some traits that I you know, personally are my favorites. And of course, this is not an exhaustive list. But when you're writing your essays, and you're preparing for your interviews, and for the academies and nominations, students are going to need letters of recommendation. So these are some of the things that if they apply to the student would be great to hear. Um, For example, to me, an officer needs to be goal oriented, they need to be forward-leaning and proactive. So in the Air Force, I was always thinking three steps ahead. What do we have to do? Um, I'm expecting the best, but I'm preparing for the worst. So I'm always having that backup plan. We want officers who are going to be physically and mentally strong. And today, you know, you hear a lot about anxiety, depression, kids um, maybe having overbearing parents. You know, you really need to be resilient. And that is a key thing we're looking for. Um, I want to see officer candidates who are selfless, who are mature, and who are willing to give 110%. And so, Rob, if you think about your time in the military, you know, if you can't give 110%, that's when it's time for you to leave because it is not an ordinary job. You know, we may have to go someplace we don't exactly want to live. Maybe we might have a job that wasn't our first choice. Uh, We may not like the timing of that assignment, but it's always the needs of the military. Um, So, Kids really need to do their research and see what's a good fit for me. Uh, Some other traits are strong communication skills, being adventurous, being confident. And, you know, for me and my journey, I didn't come from a military family and I kind of stumbled into ROTC and I had a lot of those traits already, which made it a good fit for me. So there's plenty of kids that I meet that have no family history, but then I also have students who have a lot of familiarity. So you know, it's great to know there's kids out there that come from every background. You don't have to be third generation military, things like that. Right. Yeah, absolutely. 
Yep. So the uh, so the essays, you know, obviously is uh, those are all great points, uh, Lisa. And um, yeah, I mean, it's really kind of doing your due diligence and and making sure that you you know kind of understand uh, things. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I, it's you know I, I see this with uh, essays all the time, and in particular, you, you know, we're going to talk about interviews here in a second, but you know, it's. Uh, you know, you know, it's, as you mentioned, it, it takes a commitment. And, you know, if you're you know willing to commit five years or put your life on the line and you don't even understand that, it, that there's no tanks in the um, <laughs> in the Air Force, uh, I know there's some <laughs> tanks in the Marine Corps, but no tanks in the Air Force, uh, you know, it kind of calls into question your um, your commitment if you really don't know what you're getting yourself into. So it's, uh, you know, it's important to me, at least that, you know, that as I work with candidates that they uh you know, do their due diligence. And so I think, you know, we can, we can go into the next point here about the interview and I can maybe talk a little bit more about kind of some of the things that I do. And, and this is kind of a repeat of my uh, first episode I did with uh, Colonel Lee Reynolds, where we talked about the interview process and uh, all that's involved there. But, you know, the interview for ROTC uh, is, uh, I would say, in my opinion, for the Army and Air Force, the most important thing, the interview. Uh, the Air Force, I'd even argue, is probably overemphasized in the Air Force as far as a percentage of the overall um, uh, uh, selection uh, criteria, which it hovers around 40 to 45 percent in the Air Force. And the Army, you know, if you combine it with the board uh, piece, I would say hovers around a, a third uh, I would say is either direct or indirectly uh, pointed with uh, the interview. So you really, particularly for the Air Force ROTC, if you blow the interview, you're you're not going to get I, I, unless you have a fantastic uh, other parts of your uh, application. It's really going to be difficult to get um, a scholarship. I think if you don't do well in the interview. As for the Navy, um, I've heard uh, stories with Navy that uh, it's not as important with the Navy and that uh, I've even had uh, a colonel uh, involved with uh, Navy ROTC tell me that if you can walk and chew gum, you're you're good with Navy ROTC. In other words, they're looking primarily at at the SAT. You got good SAT scores. You don't blow the interview. uh, You're okay. Marine Corps, wow, um, you've got to do well in that interview with the Navy Marine Corps option because you're going to be grilled by sometimes a board of captains, uh, Marine Corps captains, and and uh, you cannot blow that interview with uh, the Marine Corps. So Army, Air Force, Navy Marine Corps option, vital. Navy, uh, a little bit less so, but you can't blow it. So with that out of the way, um, you know, some of the other tips that I, I think. Uh, you've got to, you know, aside knowing the service itself, you got to go out there and, and physically do some stuff to learn more about, uh, about the service itself. So what I do, you get people out to the ROTC programs, visit the ROTC programs before the interview. So you know about ROTC. Uh, I think if you go fly blind and go into the interview without have actually having been to the ROTC program ahead of time, I think it's foolish in my opinion. Also, I encourage people to go to the National Guard Army Reserve bases and and, mm-hmm. and spend an a, day, a morning or an afternoon shadowing a lieutenant uh, in a program. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think that along with maybe interviewing some officers, all three of those things, what that signals to the interviewer is that uh, you have done your due diligence 
in order to learn more about the service. And I would say if you do all those things that I just outlined there, you will be in the top 5% of interviewees if you, if you do if you do that, because the vast majority of them don't do any of those things. So that's, uh, that's, my, <clears throat> that's my take on the interview, Lisa, academies. And I yeah. guess, and, and I guess, uh, congressional stuff too. Absolutely. So when you prepare for an academy interview, you know, those same questions and procedures absolutely enhance our RTC. Um, for the nominations, that's going to usually be an in-person interview with a panel of military officers, either active duty, reserve, retired, um, anywhere I'd say from three to five officers, and they are going to have high expectations for you. And so that's where you're going in with your suit and tie or your dress pants and dress shirt, or, you know, a very professional looking dress or suit. If you're a young woman, um, that's where you're dressing for the job that you want to get. So look at pictures of Congress people and then dress in that kind of level there. Um, I think that you, as you said, go to the units, sit in on a leadership lab, sit in on a class. Obviously, if you can visit academies, all those things are going to help. You mentioned the ROTC units. There's a couple I want to share that have amazing websites. And part of doing that research for the academy or ROTC is scouring those sites. So obviously there's the academy sites, but in particular, some really useful school sites are Navy ROTC at Holy Cross. And Holy Cross in Massachusetts is actually where I got my commission. Um, For Air Force ROTC, I really like the Ohio State, so in Ohio. And then for Army ROTC, one of my favorites is Georgia Southern, so here in Georgia. Um, Those websites have YouTube videos, guides for incoming midshipmen. It has information about the classes, the scholarships, careers. So, you know, if you went to a couple different sites, that would really help. Also, if you're applying for any ROTC programs, you should be reaching out to the units at each of those schools. So um, in some cases, there are units that are super well connected with admissions and will really advocate for students. So places I've had really great success would be like Tulane University and Duke. Um, especially the Navy ROTC units, but I've seen that like Miami, Ohio, you know, they have wonderful relations with the admissions department. So definitely let those units know you're interested, find out about that personality. Um, Other things I have my students do, we are together going to the actual military branches websites. So the .mil website, the official news website, we're looking at current events, we're looking at careers, we're looking at news, um, we're looking at information about deployments, recruitment, all sorts of different things. So, you know, my students may not always understand what they see there, and sometimes we'll talk about that. But if I was going into any interview, I would want to know about a current issue in that military branch. So you want to become a naval officer, what's an issue the Navy's grappling with? You know, and I would be prepared to talk about too. So that's the level of research I do. Um, I also have them go to the .com, so the recruiting websites for each branch, because you're going to get some nice overviews, but you also have to know that's the PR for that branch. And then I really like them to read military books and articles. Um, So of course, there's a lot of different news, defense sites and things that you could go on and get, you know, daily email feeds um, or weekly updates. 
but I feel like every student should be reading a couple books a year off of the military reading lists. It's not hard to find those. Um, they could start with really simple books like Make Your Bed um, by Admiral McRaven, which is really inspirational. They could start with his TED Talk. Um, that is the basis for that book, the UT graduation. Um, or they can go with you know more in-depth books on military strategy or books on leadership and other things. So you know, all those things are going to make you more confident. But I also like to connect my students either with cadets and midshipmen that I've worked with in the past, or talk to the local admissions officers and say, who can I connect with who's from my area? Or maybe they're studying what I want to study, or maybe they're an athlete in the area, you know, that I'm an athlete and we have that in common. So, you know, the more people students talk to, the better they're going to be. Um, maybe they don't have military officers they know or are working with, but then I would say try to find some adults that could do some mock interviews with you and even give them a list of questions and see how well you can answer those. So I like my kids to make um, a note card or they can do it you know, on their phones and have their talking points. And I like them to practice answering and record themselves and then listen back for their ums and yeahs and uh, things like that. So can you practice too much? No, I don't think you can. But when you're finished and you go and you're confident and, you know, you learn from each interview, you're better prepared for that next one. So if a kid came in doing all that, um, it's extremely rare. I don't see them get a scholarship or a nomination or appointment or all this. Right. And what are some of the prompts that we can expect on these uh, from these uh, uh, from the academies? Sure. So absolutely. So if you are going to a nomination board, um, as a board member, I'm going to see your essays, your grades, your resume. So I've read what you said about why you want to serve and what you want to do. So, you know, I'd expect you're going to hit on that. Um, I would say I want you to start with a real elevator pitch, you know, 15, 30 seconds, who you are, why you're there, what you want to do. Um, I also tell my kids to have two back pocket questions. So at the end of any interview, you're going to be asked, you know, what else do you want to add? Or is there anything we haven't covered? So I need you to have questions that have not been touched on, especially ones that connect with the person you interview. Um, if it's an interview, maybe it's my blue and gold officer. I've Googled them. I've looked at them on LinkedIn. I've done a little bit of background intel. Um, I want to go in there and, you know, know what we have in common. Um, um, but I'd also want to, you know, find out about them and any military connections they have. Uh, but also expect to talk about, you know, what does leadership mean to you and be able to demonstrate your leadership. So, for example, I had a student in Air Force ROTC's scholarship program this year, and they were asked to give, you know, three specific examples of how they demonstrated leadership in high school, you know, totally different things. So my lacrosse team, you know, my Girl Scout Gold Award, starting this youth group, working with the STEM camp. So this student, she had like five or six examples, but multiple examples of your leadership where you can talk about what was the situation, um, what was the act that you did, what was the accomplishment. And then I also want you to be able to talk about, you know, what are some strengths you had? You know, it could be those traits we talked about earlier. Um, you do need to be prepared to talk about what's going to be difficult or a challenge for you at the academy. So, you know, this is a really immersive environment. It's, you know, 24-7, very experiential learning. It's going to be a challenge for everybody. So if you go in there and you're like, this is easy or, you know, there's nothing I'm worried about, 
you know, I'm, I'm not going to pick you. I know you haven't done your research. So um, realizing what your weaknesses are, but also when I um, ask a person, what's something you can improve on? I want them to turn that around. Like maybe I take on too much, but then I want to hear how is that a good thing, right? It causes me to be extra smart about prioritizing. Um, it shows I have a lot of energy and enthusiasm. It shows I love to learn. So, you know, basic things like that, um, absolutely know what you want to do in that military branch. And so, of course, kids will say, I want to be a fighter pilot, or I've always wanted to fly the F-22. Um, everyone can't be fighter pilots. There's other planes out there. <laughs> There's other jobs in the Air Force or the Navy, et cetera. So, you know, have an idea from that the dot-com and the dot-mil pages, what interests you and why. Um, be able to talk about those military issues. You know, be able to also talk about um, really important skills, like how do you relate well to people who are different from you, which is often an academy prompt. So how are you with diversity or human relations? Uh, expect to be asked and assessed on how well you communicate, whether that's oral or written, how you compose yourself and present yourself. Um, you know, showing that you're a team player is really important. So leaders are always followers and team players as well. So I, you know, might want to hear about how you did with that. I also want to know, like we talked about being emotionally, emotionally resilient. I want to hear about obstacles you've overcome and hardships. And again, sometimes you see that in the academy prompts. So if you've done a good job with your essays and your interview prep, there really shouldn't be major surprises there. You know, it may be worded a little bit different, but I think if you focused on those areas um, and demonstrated the interest in the military, you know, you've covered the vast majority, if not all your bases. Right. Well, good rundown, uh, Lisa, on that. And I would say that <clears throat> probably um, different service academies as well as ROTC emphasize uh, the the essay and interview um, more or less. So mm -hmm. um, I would say with West Point, interestingly, it's not as important, which is, I find to be in, an interesting uh, facet of that. <clears throat> so, you know, so it, it is. So what what I think the important thing to realize when you go in is, I think is what is the relative importance of the of the interview to the overall appointment process. Right. And there are two academies that don't require interviews, and I always encourage students to do them. And sometimes it changes a little bit from year to year. But the Merchant Marine Academy, there's been times where they haven't had an interview or they encouraged you but didn't require. Um, the Coast Guard also doesn't require everyone to interview. They do ask some, but I always encourage my kids to be reaching out to those reps. So, you know, you have admissions um, officers at the Coast Guard, you have, um, and you have field reps at the Merchant Marine. For Army, it's our, you know, it's going to be the field force officers. For Navy, it's blue and gold officers. And for Air Force, it's the admission liaison officers. So having come from that side, I've worked with people from all those different areas, but they're really advocates and liaisons and they're there to help, you know, mold and guide and answer kids and get them through that app process and also connect them with resources. So reaching out early, you know, I've had kids at the beginning of high school reach out to those officers and say, hey, I want to get on the radar. I, you know, my goal is to go to Merchant Marine Academy. What are some things I should be thinking about? So that's another way of demonstrating interest. They can always get on the mailing list for the academies, even as early as middle school. Um, so different things like that, you know, are going to help them be more confident too. 
Right. Yeah. So you want to do well on the interview no matter what, but there's, you know, obviously certain uh, uh, institutions and uh, that mm-hmm. uh, that are emphasize it more than others. Let's go on to the next uh, point, which all the service academies and ROTC emphasize, and you can't blow it. Uh, it's the <laughs> SAT, ACT uh, settings. Now, I can say that for a fact across the board is that uh, you can do a mediocre interview, a mediocre essays, be mediocre in other areas, but if you don't get a good SAT or ACT score, you're sunk. Uh, and that's pretty much it. Uh, so you've got to do well on these things. Uh, Army and uh, Navy uh, and Navy Marine Corps does a uh, super score and the best sitting for Air Force ROTC. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, um, and, you know, I know, Lisa, you'll talk about the service academies, but uh, from my research, uh, that's the best way to move the needle uh, if you want to get a um, a a scholarship. Uh, Navy in particular, I would say of all three, all all four, uh, is absolutely vitally uh, important uh, with the Navy ROTC scholarship that, you know, I've heard from my various sources that if you're, if you're not, you know, around a 1400 or close to a 1400 SAT, it's really difficult to get a Navy uh, ROTC scholarship. Um, So, so it's important to do well, important to take it multiple times. Air Force is best sitting. Uh, so, you know, it's, 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 you know, so you, you don't super score, but there's really in, in almost all cases, uh, nothing to be lost by retaking the SAT or ACT or both multiple times, as long as you feel like you can improve significantly uh, on the test. So uh, again, you, the earlier you prepare for these, uh, uh, college uh, standardized test, I think the better. Absolutely. As you said, test early, test often. Um, I have a young lieutenant who just commissioned from the Air Force Academy this month, and he took every ACT his junior year. I've never had anyone do that before him, but he was like, I will do anything to get in. I just want that 30. I want to say he wound up with like a 32 out of 36 in the end. Um, But that was his goal. You know, and he was working on this for three years, like that whole application process and getting himself ready. Um, some things to think about. So as a college advisor for a non-military kid, I'm not going to say, you know, test early and test often because it is, as you said, specific to the military. But um, we don't know if the writing portion or the essay of the ACT and SAT are going to go away. I think that that's in the cards. But currently, West Point requires you to take the tests test for test with writing, as does Air Force. And so the other academies don't use that, but it's important for students to make sure they know what requirement. So to take it, you know, right now it's still a requirement. Um, We're recording this in May of 2020. So, you know, during the pandemic, um, right now, all the academies and ROTC programs are saying they're still going to require test scores. I think if we get to December and there haven't been, you know, in-person tests and the online testing is just beginning, you know, the people I've spoke with said, you know, we may have to reassess that later, but they're still hoping, you know, 
kids are testing as best as they can or have. Um, I would say for me, for an academy student, if they've already completed Algebra 2, which in some cases includes trigonometry, they're ready to start preparing for either the SAT or ACT. So I, um, in an ideal world, will have them preparing that summer going into junior year. Um, I'm doing that this year, although, you know, I know those kids are going to have a hard time testing in the fall. But what matters for the academies is that if you are applying to a summer program like summer seminar with Navy or Air Force or AIM for Coast Guard or summer leadership experience for Army, you're going to need a standardized test score. So in some cases, they'll take a PSAT. Um, This year, we don't know if we'll be able to have kids take that in school. You know, that's really up in the air. But um, it's really better if you have an actual SAT or ACT. And I really like kids to have that in December of their junior year because those applications open up as early as December for Air Force, January for Army, um, February for Coast Guard, you know, and Navy in January. So if you don't have a standardized test score, then you're not going to be able to apply. Um, And then usually my juniors are testing, you know, the spring of their junior year. This is an anomaly year. Um, And then typically there are some summer tests and early fall. So I can't tell you you how important it is. Um, If you looked at an academic profile of a typical academy, I'm going to lump them all together. So you are looking at about a 3.87 cumulative grade point average out of a 4.0. Um, so a 387 out of 40 is very, very high. Um, and then in terms of standardized tests, a 30 ACT out of 36 is kind of getting you into the big leagues and making you really competitive for an academy. So those average composite scores are around a 30. Um, how you do in the English and the math sections particularly matter to the academies. And then if you're in um, taking the SAT, it would be the high 600. So like that 6670 is an average score. Um, I tell you these are averages knowing that some people taking them are first to go to college. They could be immigrant students. English may be their second language. But I also have students that, you know, have had 25 hours of one-on-one test prep, right? So that's kind of that spectrum. Um, You're also going to have active duty military or reservists who've taken this test. So, you know, if I was looking at um, an active duty sailor who wanted to go to the Naval Academy, you know, I'll take a lower ACT score for him because I know he's, you know, combat ready. He's had these life experiences. So for a typical high school student, just get the best score that you can. Um, I've definitely seen students get directly into the academies with lower GPAs and lower test scores. Um, but in general, about the lowest I've seen someone get directly in has been about a 365 out of a 4.0 and about a 25 composite. Um, I'm not saying no one gets in below that, but that's usually the lowest for getting directly in. Um, and that really tends to be someone with very extraordinary circumstances or really great talents that they're trying to recruit. Okay. Well, great, uh, great summary there, Lisa, of that. And um, yeah, I mean, so the takeaway obviously is to, um, you know, be as, uh, you know, to take them as much as possible and to do uh, as well as possible um, on those, um, on the, on the SAT and ACT. And I don't see, even though California, uh, you know, the UCs have eliminated 
the SAT or standardized test. I don't see that happening with the service academy uh, <laughs> anytime soon. So let's move on to uh, fitness tests here. And, uh, you know, these are important again, uh, for the, uh, for, um, for, uh, ROTC again, there's variations on, um, on that and uh, the emphasis that they're that is put on them and what's tested. Uh, up on the top, Marine Corps, uh, you don't get uh, a 265 or above on the Marine Corps test, which is basically pull-ups, uh, two minutes of crunches, and a three-mile run. Uh, so the average scores is, is a 265 out of 300. Uh, you're not going to get a Marine Corps option scholarship without doing very, very well on the physical fitness test. And that's from personal experience with the candidates that I've, I've worked with. Army, I'd go as the second one down, I'd say, as far as fitness goes. They have a, a one mile, uh, rather a, a one minute of push-ups, one minute of sit-ups, and a one mile run. Uh, it is point totaled out and uh, is probably worth somewhere around 15% of the overall um, overall uh, uh uh, decision along with uh, you know it's counted on the on the board to a, a good score so important to do well there Navy and Air Force is another um, thing altogether I would say much less important for both of those services uh, as far as doing well you want to obviously you know have a solid score but I don't think uh, doing average on either one of those uh, physical fitness tests for both either the Air Force or the Navy, ROTC is going to is going to not make you competitive for those uh, for those uh, two scholarships, and so the Air Force requires one minute of pushups, one minute of sit-ups, and a one point five mile run. The Navy requires uh, two minutes of crunches, two minutes of pushups, and a one mile run. So hopefully you got all of those things down there uh, too. <laughs> but um, you know we did an episode with Stu Smith, who's uh, uh, a, uh, I think it was done a couple episodes ago that kind of talks about the preparation that's involved there. So I don't want to really repeat, uh, right. that, uh, piece here because he obviously is a lot more, um, qualified to talk about physical fitness than, than I am. So, uh, but needless to say, it's, it's important, some more important for, for some, um, than others important to do well on and to prepare for. So what about the academies, Lisa? Sure. So four of the five academies take the candidate fitness assessment. That's CFA. Those are for the candidates. Uh, you are wanting to, as Stu said in his podcast, um, you want to prepare early. You know, if you say, I'm hoping to get my academy app completed by September, then in May of junior year, you need to start looking at the videos on YouTube of how to take it. You need to look at the academy sites and see what the averages are. So they will show averages. They'll um, so you have that, those there. Um, sometimes you'll find the information like this is the minimum number that you need. And then the other thing that I tell kids to focus on is that while this test isn't impossible, lots of kids don't do well on it because they haven't practiced each step back to back in a controlled time environment. Um, you know, there's skills like a kneeling basketball throw or a shuttle run that you may not have to do in your sport or your activities. So look at the averages, see where the max is. So obviously don't do more than that. 
But I like kids to really focus if they can on maxing out three of the five categories. And then there's, you know, a timed run after. Um, so again, some kids will hire trainers, lots of free resources on the academy sites. Stu's got some good things. Uh, for the Coast Guard Academy, it is a smaller, shorter test um, called the PFE, and they can find that out there. But my um, other thing to think about is if you're going to a traditional summer program at an academy, so this year some of those are virtual, but normally you would actually take the CFA um, at the academy. And so then you'd have a baseline test and you could retest if you want it. Um, so that's something that students need to prepare for. Some academies will let you retest if your score is not good. Others will not. Um, my other big piece of advice is kids always tell me, I'm going to wait till football season's over and then they break their hand and they can't finish up in time. Um, so it's important that you plan to take the test early and you're ready for it in case you get injured and need rehab time. Because if you don't make it in a, a timely manner, your application is not going to be considered or you could lose that chance in an appointment. Oh, that's that's really good advice. And yeah, getting that CFA done early is obviously uh, very, very important um, to the overall process. So that's that's great, Lisa. Great point. So uh, what I thought we would wrap this up with, Lisa, is kind of talk a, a tiny bit about activities and then a major mm -hmm. takeaway. So okay. for me, for me with activities, um, you know, boy state, girl state seems to be a big thing uh, with the academies. Uh, and I think you could probably reinforce that. I think some uh, military propensity, if you can show that, I think one of the low impact uh, ways that you, I shouldn't say low impact, but one of the ways you could do that is <laughs> through civil air patrol. And I just had an episode with um, the head of the Delaware wing of the cadet, uh, of the uh, cadet programs, Delaware wing, John Lorenz, who I went to high school with. And we talked about uh, civil air patrols that kind of demonstrating the military propensity piece, uh, you know, definitely uh, respected by all the um, academies in ROTC, but I think particularly by Air Force. Uh, and then, uh, you know, varsity athletics, I, I, I think that that is, and being a team captain uh, is important, and then leadership positions in your school. So all of those are kind of things that uh, I think are, um, you know, important activities to have for uh, either the ROTC application or the or the academies, anything uh Alisa, to, to add to that? Sure. I did a couple things. So in terms of those military programs besides Civil Air Patrol, definitely look at Sea Cadets. Uh, another program is Young Marines. So Sea Cadets or Civil Air Patrol is all over the country. Young Marines a little less so. If you are looking at boy state or girl state, you actually get more points if you have certain positions in that program, such as lieutenant governor or governor. So that's really those kids who are out there um, super kids. So definitely look at that. In terms of um, leadership in your school, not just student council or clubs or not just sports teams, but where can you develop leadership in your community? So maybe you could have like Johns Creek Youth Leadership Advisory or Moraga Youth Committee. So there's definitely communities. The Rotary offers leadership programs as well. Uh, don't forget those academy summer programs we talked about, including the Navy STEM program for younger students. 
And then another thing that students don't know about is that there's a lot of military organizations out there that they can volunteer with, including the VA hospital system. Uh, there's groups that support our, our troops, including Blue Star Moms and other groups like that. So that's another way to get some good leadership experience that sets you apart from others. Right. And um, remember um, somebody telling me with um, with the Army, uh, with the West Point, is that uh, if you have to choose, they said, if you have to choose between Girl State, Boy State, or the summer seminar, take Girl State, Boy State. Absolutely. That's a, that's yes. a, that's a quote. So <laughs> West Point is telling words, me that too. So in other words, do not think that you have to go to the summer seminar in order to be able to get an academy appointment. Absolutely. Yes. So just um, I just want to emphasize that. Good. Yep. And then in terms of takeaways, if, if I had a couple pieces of advice real quick, um, number one, as I said, begin the academy research preparation process early. I think eighth grade is not too early to plan a STEM curriculum and leadership activities and push and grow. Uh, the next thing is, this is a lengthy detail process. So the academies are evaluating you on how you do with that because you're going to need those skills like to, to do well there. So have an action plan, double, triple check, keep copies, you know, early's on time, on time is late. So get all those things in a few weeks before the deadline. And then lastly, have a backup plan. And so I am always encouraging Academy kids to also apply to the ROTC scholarship. Um, if you're not eligible for a scholarship, you know, a plan to apply and go to a college that has ROTC, you can absolutely reapply. Many kids get in on their second attempt and actually more get in on the second attempt than the first time around. So don't be afraid to have those options. Um, some kids will go into the reserves or enlist in the military. So you really have to figure out what your plan is that's best for you. Right. And so, yeah, so preparation is the key. I think understanding the process uh, is very important in my mind and uh, understanding the relative importance of various parts. Sometimes you can't be good at everything uh, and you can't prepare for everything. So you have to understand what application that you're applying for and what is what is emphasized by that particular application source, uh, because not everything is the is important to each one. As I described to you earlier, if you're sweating the physical fitness test with the Navy ROTC, you're probably, and you're spending hours and hours on the Navy ROTC fitness test, you're wasting your time because it's, uh, because it's not as important, say, versus preparing and getting a higher SAT or ACT score. You're busy exactly. in, in high school and uh, there's a lot of things going on. So understanding uh, the relative importance of things uh, is as important. And so I'd put in a plug for my books uh, that, that really uh, the Army, Air Force books, and I've got a West Point book coming out that really break down in, in very... Uh, exacting detail the uh that point totals and what's important for the, for that uh for that academy or ROTC so i i uh, recommend you guys take a look at that those books are available on amazon so so thanks lisa for coming on the uh podcast with me today i you know you just the things that you told were spot on you know you obviously been doing this for a long time and and i really hope that uh people who listen to this podcast go back and listen to this multiple times because uh, it really doesn't get any better than this hour long conversation we've had today. So thanks. <laughs> it really doesn't. I mean, I, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, you know, I mean, I think if anybody could sit down and just listen to what we talked about for an hour and, you know, the great thing about podcasts is you can replay it. So, um, exactly. great, great stuff, Lisa. And, and thanks so much for coming on today. 
It was my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Um, I know you put my website there in the beginning and it's probably in the notes. And for kids who want more information, whether to work with me or just resources of where to find these academies and scholarships, um, I also have a media page that has articles, podcasts, web- webinars, things like that. So lots of free content out there. So just you know, start early and educate yourself. Yeah, great. Okay, thanks, Lisa. And we'll, uh, we'll, I'm sure we'll be working with each other in the future. I'd love that. Thank you, Rob. Okay, thanks. Thanks for listening to the ROTC Scholarship Podcast. If you like what we're doing, please leave a quick review. If you have any questions or want more information about ROTC or our consulting services, please visit our website at rotcconsulting.com. Take care, and we'll see you next time.